kids went go-karting, horseback riding, uh, boating. Everybody got wet and everything we did except eat. We were able to get under a shelter, but it rained all week, but despite all that, we had a great time. Our kids in our Christian school who place first or second in regionals, uh, they are awarded a, a week's vacation. It's a vacation for the kids, for Sister Rossing, who went around, along to chaperone, brother and Sister Manley, Sister Grant and myself. It really wasn't a vacation, but we enjoyed it. We really enjoyed it. We got home this morning about uh, 1.30, something like that. So if I make mistakes this morning, just blame it on the kids. <coughs> blame it on your kids. <laughs> oh, my. <coughs> Good to see all of you. Please stand if you would. But Sonny Hans, twin sister, is here. I didn't know that he had a twin sister. I met Susie outside, her husband Larry. They're from Pensacola, Florida, and it's so good to have them here. So uh, if you want to see uh, Sonny's twin, <laughs> I don't know what kind of reputation Sonny has in the family, but he's <clears throat> quite a guy. We all love him. <clears throat> All right, Romans eleven twenty nine. The Bible says, Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, there are several things I can read around that scripture that would would certainly shed a lot of light on the scripture. <clears throat> but I'd like to talk to you today on the subject. Can God be trusted with my life? Can God be trusted with my life? I think if you read the scriptures around this, you will find that that is the essence of what Paul is addressing. Can I really trust God for my life? You think about that for a moment. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. God of heaven, I pray that you would come and anoint my lips. I pray, God, that you would inspire my mind. I pray, God, that you would open every heart. I'm asking, God, right now that you speak to every individual. I believe, God, you're going to do this. And Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for taking care of us. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for putting confidence in us. You have called us, Lord, and placed the gospel into our hands. And Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. I believe, God, you're going to take care of us. And see us through this tenure on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. And you may be seated. I remember talking to Sister Luke. Sister Luke is the oldest member 
Calvary Gospel Church. This coming October, I think it is, she will be 100 years old. Sister Luke is in Armenta nursing home or rest home. Or but I remember Sister Luke, who was our missions secretary at the time, after a missions presentation, she said uh, this to me. She was writing out a check to a missionary. She said, you know, Brother Grant, after hearing the presentation today, it is really a shaky thing to know that God trusted man with the gospel. That the salvation of so many people is determined by the willingness of others to preach it, teach it, and deliver it. You think about that. Every one of us is here because someone brought the message of salvation to us. And what if that person had not have done it? Now, I can't say that I've always interpreted this scripture the way that I'm interpreting it this morning, but after giving a lot of thought and research into the scripture, I, I think that the the normal impression that you get when you read this is probably the correct one. Let me read to you some different translations. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Of course, we know that's the King James Version. The American Standard Version says that the gifts and callings of God are not repented of or cannot be repented of. Now, here's another translation. For no change of purpose can annul God's gifts and callings. Here's another translation. For God never regrets his gifts or his call. Now, listen to this one. For God does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his blessings or sends his call. Here's another translation, for God does not withdraw his gift and his calling. Now here is a very strong statement found in the Revised Standard Version, for the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Now, <clears throat> what, what I think that the scripture is teaching I mean, considering this in the context of all the other scriptures of the Bible, I think the scripture is saying that a man cannot excuse himself for doing what he knows God wants him to do simply because he wants to be excused. Now, you're getting real quiet on me. <clears throat> this is heavy medicine, isn't it? Now you think about it, it's pretty heavy, isn't it? <clears throat> so for a man to simply say that I'm going to excuse myself from doing what I know I should do, that somehow God is going to look at my 
excusing and say, well, that's all right, son. You remember the parable that Jesus gave? And he gave it about the marriage feast. And people were invited and some were too busy. Some had just gotten married. You remember that? One had bought a piece of land. All of these people made excuses. And you will find that when they made excuses, that the wrath of God was kindled against those people because they made excuses. Now, I, I realize that that's in a slightly different setting because that's basically talking, I think, about people who are called to serve God or to give their lives, their heart to God. While this is talking about individuals who, after giving their lives to God, that they look at the overall plan that God has developed for their life, and they say, well, God, I'm sorry, and you'll just have to forgive me, but I just don't think I'm going to do what you want me to do. Now you listen to that. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? And it appears that what Paul is saying is that any person with that attitude will definitely not be excused. Now we know that there are certain situations in which people disqualify themselves from certain ministries through some behavior maybe that they have manifested in which their credibility slips to an all-time low. Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about people who just simply excuse themselves from doing what God wants them to do simply because they do not want to do it. My mind goes to the book of Jonah. The whole book is about Jonah's ministry. Jonah almost made a fatal mistake. I say he almost made a fatal mistake. Maybe I could put it like this. He made a mistake that would have cost him his life had not of God shown just a little bit of mercy. If you care to turn to the book of Jonah, you will find at the very beginning of the book, this Jonah that we're talking about was a prophet of God. As far as we know, this was Jonah's first commission. In other words, the first time that God talked to him about his ministry. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now God's calling on this man to do something that obviously he had not called upon men in the past to do. As far as I know, 
Nineveh is the only place in the Old Testament in which a Gentile revival occurred. So he's not asking him to do just the run-of-the-mill type uh, thing. This was very unique. But when I look at the various ministries that people have, Every ministry is a special ministry, and every ministry is needed. It makes no difference how small it may appear in your eyes. To Jonah, to Jonah, this did not seem like a very important thing because of the attitude of the Israeli people against the Gentiles. So it didn't seem like an important mission to him. Why? God wanted to save this city by sending Jonah there. I do not know. Now, I know that God has always wanted to save all men, but why he called Jonah, I don't know. But God spoke to him and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. you will find that every time that God wants to send judgment upon a nation, upon a society, upon a city, He always searches out for someone who can serve as a real minister to those people. See, Peter said the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And basically... What he is saying, and this is what I interpret it to be, if God is going to save America, he wants a measuring stick by which America can gauge itself. In other words, if nobody's living right and God's calling on everybody to live right, how will people know when they have arrived? So God always chooses, cleanses, and purifies those who are living for Him. And they rise up as measuring sticks or models by which people can pattern after. See, the only Bible that some people read is your life. That's all they ever see. And your life serves such a conviction uh, marker for them. It's amazing how much people really appreciate people with strong convictions when they get in trouble. People that will make fun of you when they get in trouble, they know who to call for help. They know who to call for help. They'll call on you every time. If they get real sick, they know who believes God. They know who they can put their confidence in. They know who they can put their trust in. This is what God wanted in Nineveh. He wanted Jonah to go there. Because the wickedness of the people had come up. Now, here's the problem with Jonah. Jonah pretty much fits the category of the Romans 11.29 Scripture, 
Jonah just decided that he would be excused from this ministry simply because he did not want to do it. In other words, I'll just go elsewhere. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now the strange thing about it is, he's going to catch a, a boat at the Mediterranean, and I'm assuming, by looking at my map, if he's catching a boat at Joppa, that he's probably going to sail all the way across the Mediterranean into the area of Spain to Tarshish. Now there was another Tarshish. But it appears because of the way he was going or where he was catching the boat, that that's probably where he was going. Now pray tell me if he didn't want to preach to Gentiles, why was he going way off over there? I guess for some reason he just thought that he could move far enough away from the calling of God and far enough away from Nineveh that God would not require him to go. I have known of people who have physically moved from one location to the other to rid themselves of the calling of God in their life. I've known of it. And so as a result, this man, he went to Joppa, he found a ship going to Tarshish, he paid the fare thereof, he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. However, his luck ran out. <laughs> he probably looked at it like that. He wanted to he wanted to dismiss God from the whole thing. That's why I use the word luck. You know, we're just lucky that didn't rain today. As if God has nothing to do with it. <clears throat> so his luck ran out. And verse 4, the Bible says, But his luck ran out, and a great wind came to the sea. That's not what it says, is it? It says, And the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. Oh, it was not just chance. That's not what it was. Not at all. Now you notice what happened, and this is what happens when you run from God. If you are in this category, and of course I am preaching this message this morning because that God definitely spoke to me about it. And I believe if God spoke to me about it, either someone needs to hear this because they are about to make that mistake, or perhaps someone needs a confirmation from God to just go ahead and do what they know they need to do, or perhaps someone has already made the mistake and they need to correct it. But you notice when Jonah's luck ran out, you notice what happened. He went down to Joppa. Everybody say down. Down to Joppa. And then he went down by the sea. Let's say down. Down by the sea. And then he bought a ticket and he went down to the boat. Let's say down to the boat. Down to the boat. 
And when he went down to the boat, he went down in the bottom of the boat. Down in the bottom of the boat. Let's say it together. Down in the bottom of the boat. The boat then went out to sea. And all of a sudden, his luck ran out. And a great wind came. God sent the wind. You see, God had a carefully devised plan for Jonah. Jonah didn't feel he could trust God with his life. Can God be trusted with your life? If God can be trusted with your life, why then is it so difficult for us to yield to His will? You ever thought of that? Why is it so difficult? Why do so many things that affect the flesh have a bearing on what we do and what we don't do. But after the great wind came up, for some reason the captain of the ship decided that this is not usual. There's something strange going on. And isn't it amazing that all of a sudden you can wake up in the middle of the storm and realize there is something strange going on here. This isn't normal. I mean, a guy's luck doesn't run like this. And even this old captain of the ship that probably knew nothing about God decided that there must be a sinner on board. (laughs) In other words, someone that has disobeyed his God. He may or may not have known who God was. Do you think God put that in his mind? Isn't it strange what God can put in the minds of of non-Christians, so to speak? Like when, when Israel or Judah, the Israel had already gone into Syrian captivity 120 years before, but when Judah, the two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, that had... Uh, established the southern part of the kingdom. When they became wicked, God sent down the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you read anything about Nebuchadnezzar, you have to read a long, long time before the Scripture says anything good about him. And you have to use your imagination when you're reading. But the closest I can find in the Scripture that speaks any good of Nebuchadnezzar is that upon one occasion he was called a servant of God. Was it because that Nebuchadnezzar consciously made up his mind, I'm going to follow the God of the Jews? Absolutely not. Was it because that Nebuchadnezzar just all of a sudden decided that he would give his heart and his life to the Lord and let the Lord, God, Jehovah, direct him? No. He was called by God a servant of God because he, not even knowing where the thought came from, 
God put a desire in his heart to go down and destroy Jerusalem because Judah had sinned against God. So when he went down there, he went down there with a directive from God and he didn't even know it. And for some reason, it's, it's like God just, the light bulb came on inside of the mind of the old sinful captain. And he said, somebody aboard this ship has sinned against their God. Because I feel something strange going on here. Something's not right. I've been in storms before. I know all about storms, but this one has a little bit of a funny feeling. A little eerie feeling. It's not quite normal. So, they all turned to each other and they said, Did you do it? Nope. Did you do it? Nope. They all questioned each other. Nobody had sinned against their God. Then all of a sudden someone said, Well, there's a little old guy downstairs on a cot sleeping. Now the captain could have dismissed it by saying, Well, I guess it's just a feeling I had. You know, all these storms are a little different. But he didn't do that. He persisted. He knew there was something different. God put that in his mind. And all of a sudden then, what do you think he did? He gave the orders, go downstairs and wake up that man and bring him up here. Because we're going to all perish in this. If his God is angry at us, and if his God is the reason why that this storm is here, we've got to do something about it. So... Up came Jonah. There's only two ups in his downward fall. There's one's when he came up to go down again. The last time is when he came up out of the mouth of the whale to go preach. But for every up, there's three downs. If you run a little graph of the downs and the ups, you'd find out that the downs win. That's what happens when you run from God. That's what happens when you backslide. That's what happens when you tell God no. Now you, may, you may come to the altar and pray and get the feeling good about your salvation. You, you, know, you may hear the preacher preach and you get a little bit of the Holy Ghost over you and you might jump up and down and, and feel good about it but remember you can have an up and still have a bunch of downs if you're dis in disagreement with God's overall plan for your life so he came up well they questioned him and right away he, he, he confessed I, I, I guess, yes it's me I guess he looked out and he said, man, we're going to all perish anyway. I'm going to die along with them. I might as well save those people. What do you think happened? They took him, one man by the hands and one by the feet, and they just tossed him overboard. Now, 
what happens when you run from God? So many circumstances can just push you around. And isn't it amazing that people who don't want to surrender to God, they want to have control, they say. That's when you lose control. I mean, you absolutely lose control when you want to have control. When you feel that you are the captain of your own ship, and that I just don't want to be pushed around through life. I'll do my own thing. You find out that you lose control quickly. Because there's so many circumstances that can come. Now, if you were to start counting the different things that could happen, calamities that could happen to you before the day is over, it'd take you all day long to count them. But remember... If God is in control of the planet Earth and He's in control of life, any one of those could happen. You may say, well, that could happen to you, Brother Graham. Sure. This is the reason why it is senseless to fight against God. This is the reason why it only makes sense for me to say, God, because of life and because that it's the way it is and because that You're the giver of life, you are the only one that I can trust with my life. So he confessed, they tossed him overboard, and down into the sea he went. Let's say down into the sea. Down into the sea. And then a big fish came. Too long ago, there was an article in the paper that said, well, this wasn't a whale. I don't think it says a whale in the book of John. And so they were saying, well, the Bible's wrong because that uh, what happened here wasn't a whale. It was probably just a big fish. Well, <clears throat> I know Jesus said as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. But then a lot of people don't believe Jesus. So, all I can say is, whether you believe it was just a big fish or a whale, it was just a whale of a fish. <clears throat> That'll just solve it all, see. <clears throat> That'll fit everybody's theology. <laughs> it was a big old fish. And that fish came and got him, and guess what the fish did with him? Swallowed him. Jonah went down into the whale. Let's say that. Down into the whale. Now, you know what was going to happen to Jonah? Jonah was going to be digested. And can you feature a situation like that? Man. All of a sudden, his skin starts burning and his eyes start burning. I've got to get out of here. <laughs> oh. I've got to get out of here. Now, notice what happens in chapter 2. Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell. The word hell here can be translated out of the belly 
of the grave. In other words, this was his grave. Now, if the, if the interpretation that I'm making is accurate, it would be like somebody burying you alive, closing the coffin up, putting you underground, pouring dirt on top. Now, if a miracle doesn't take place, I'm a goner. <laughs> Will you think about that? Now, I'm talking to you about a man who almost made a fatal mistake. You see, when God called Jonah to Nineveh, he was not kidding. Jonah, this is God. I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, you've got to be kidding. I don't know whether he prayed about it. I don't know what he did, but he decided not to go. Did he go? Yes, he went. It took him a long time to make up his mind. You know, there's one thing about it that, that you never have to do what God wants you to do. He could have died. You remember the Apostle Paul who was struck blind on the road to Damascus at his conversion? Paul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He submitted to God. No doubt Paul would have died a blind man had he not given his heart to God. <clears throat> a cry from hell, from the grave. Have you ever felt that something was killing you? I mean, literally killing you? I've gotten myself in some jams just because I ran from God. And I really thought, this is eating me up. It's going to kill me. I, I quickly decided that it would be easier to resolve this and get out of this mess. Seriously. I, I just remember one time that in, in, a, in a church service, the Calvary Gospel Church, I remember the Spirit of the Lord moving in a great way, and God moved upon me to give a prophecy. I don't give a lot of prophecies. And because such spiritual gifts are for the body of Christ, I like as a minister to allow God to use other people. I, I like to see that happen. So quite often I will wait to see if God will use somebody else. I think it's a healthy thing. I don't think the church should just be a one-man show. But uh, God spoke to me. Well, because of the nature of the prophecy, I decided that, well, it's no big deal. You know, we have prophecy all the time. No big deal. So I just... Uh, just stood there. We're all standing. God spoke to me again. God kept bothering me about this until I finally said no. You're going to find out a lot of times when God wants you to do something, He'll just kind of whisper in your ear. He wants you to be sensitive. And you can kind of desensitize yourself by just saying, what's well, rugging it off? After a while, 
God's going to keep pestering you until you just have to say no. I may be speaking to someone here today that has said no to the call of God. If I am, it's, it's not a laughing matter. It's not a joking matter. It's no small thing. It's serious. And finally, God just kept pestering me and pestering me and pestering me. You know what I did? I just said, well, I'm just not going to do that today. Now, I know more than got home from Sunday. It was on Sunday morning. I know more than got home, and I got deathly sick. When I got so sick and I got a migraine headache, I stretched myself out on the sofa. I had Sister Grant in there praying for me. I said, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. I had a headache that bad. I had a couple of brothers from the church. She called. They came over and prayed for me. Now, I remember telling one of the brothers, as, as he lay hands on me, I said, well, hold it just a minute. I know what's wrong with me. See, the Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And if they have committed sin, they shall be forgiven. I said, I know what's wrong with me. And I want to make this confession. And I told them about my disobedience to God in our morning service. You may feel like I felt at the time. No big deal. But somebody there obviously needed to hear what God wanted to tell them. And they probably walked out of that church and never heard what God wanted to say to them. See, it's not a small thing. So what I did, I said uh, to this brother, I said, Brother, uh, <clears throat> I hardly know how to begin, but you, you would understand. So I said, uh, I just need to repent. So I asked God, I said, Lord, before we pray for my healing, I'm going to ask you to forgive me for sinning against you. You uh, talk to me today. And, and I said, no. And I'm sorry. I, I just wasn't thinking right, God. I, I, I just disobeyed you, Lord. I, it was not right. Would you believe that I no more than repented before the brothers even had a chance to lay their hands on me, my headache started leaving. And I was healed, I mean, just instantly, just like this. Well, all I can say, I'm glad it was a headache, not a fish. You know, it could have been. I mean, it could have been. But when you think about someone walking out of a church service and God had carefully designed a message for them and you fit into that and you wouldn't do it, that's pretty serious. You know? I, my mind goes to a young girl who was a member of our congregation several years ago. She... In the moving revival we had, we had a youth revival. She came to me several nights in a row and said, God has called me to the mission field. She said, I, I just feel 
We were not having missionary services. Kept bothering her. She came in to my office and talked with me several times about it. God's called me to mission for you. I noticed then she started drifting away from God. And I uh, <clears throat> talked to her. I said, now look, you can't drift away from God if God's calling you to the mission field. And I said, you know, and I question her thoroughly. I don't, you know, a lot of people just, every time God moves, you know, you, if you're really in tune with God, you question, what do you want me to do, God? You know, we, we all do that. We question. And, and almost all new converts feel they're called to preach. I mean, they go through that. And that's great because it denotes their willingness to do whatever God wants them to do. Some are, some are not. But all are called to a ministry. And I'm not just I'm talking about ignoring your call to preach the gospel. I'm talking about ignoring your ministry. You have a call of God upon your life to do something. So this young lady, she drifted further and further and further away from God. I am sorry to say that this day, this young girl, not young anymore, is just living a horrible life, and she doesn't know God. I think that I can trace her trouble all the way back to that one revival where she recognized the call of God but would not prepare herself. She had other things to do. My mind goes to a young man who was a member of our congregation. This young man prayed, sought God. But later on, he got a job out in the world, and this happens a lot of times. Started dating a girl who was not in the church, and she kind of swept him off his feet. Today, he's not living for God. This young man had a special call in his life. I know of another young man that this happened to, Brother Mike Daly. I'm calling his name because he's living for God today. But he came in our church and gave his life to the Lord. I remember Brother Mike as just a young teenager, young, telling me he had a call to preach the gospel. I remember some of the young people in the church making fun of him because he drug his Bible around with him all, every place he went, restaurants and places. Some of you that are serving God you did that to him, don't you remember? Some of you, I talked to you about this later on. And you told me, said, I used to do this. I feel so terrible about it now. Well, you should. No condemnation today because God's already forgiven you. You know, we all make mistakes. But that's the way it was. I remember one time praying with Brother Mike Daly. And Brother Mike got out on his knees, began to pray. He felt the call of God so strong, he started at the front of the church. We had pews in the other church, and he literally crawled underneath all the pews. But he had to contend with the world, and the world got the best of him. And he gave his heart to the world for a while. Brother Mike Gillum started the church down in Monroe. 
Brother Mike was there, married. I think he even had a child then. I'm not for sure. Maybe two, two children then. Right away, he gave his heart to God. He's pastoring one of our churches in Mason City, Iowa. Brother John Sila just preached for him this past weekend. It was so good when Brother Mike called me and said, Brother Graham, called me last Saturday. He said, you know, I think I made a mistake. I said, what? He said, well, you know, we practice ministerial ethics. John Seidel is a member of your congregation. He was a preacher. John Seidel was preaching the Iowa youth camp last week, week before last noon. So I asked him to come spend the weekend with me, and I shouldn't have died before I called and got your permission. Well, it was perfectly okay with me. I'm glad that he could go. But it was just so good to talk to this man. How's it going, Brother Mike? Oh, fantastic. Brother Mike got pretty low, though, before he said yes. Now, I wonder where Mike Daly would be today if he had not have cried from the belly of the whale. You think about it. I wonder where his precious wife and his children would be. Could he trust God with his life? Was it okay for him to say, God, I'm yours? Can you trust God with your life today? Do you believe that if you serve God that there will be some penalty imposed upon you that will cost you happiness? Quite the contrary. Probably die an unhappy individual. Others in the Bible have tried to dismiss themselves with excuses. Don't really know what Moses would have been. Moses had not made the, I say the mistake, made it the excuse you know, God talked to him about going to Pharaoh. You know what he said? The Bible tells us in Exodus 4th chapter, verse 10 through 12. Moses said, well, I can't go. I'm not an eloquent. Now, I'm pretty slow in my speech. Can't think fast. Can't talk fast. Can't go. God, it is very plain in the Scripture, God was not calling Aaron to do it. Aaron got coupled up with him because he just said, Lord, I can't do it. I want, I want to do this, but please, Lord, send somebody with me. I must say, that's a far cry better than what Jonah did. At least he was willing to go if he had some support. And after you look at the life of Moses, it's pretty hard to knock it, you know. It really is. I know things that God's called me to do, and I said, Lord, I just I cannot do that. I just can't. I think a man needs to understand that there are certain things that 
he's called upon to do that he can't do. But if God calls you, it's a different thing. Sometimes people will ask you to do things that you feel that, that you can't do and shouldn't do. And uh, that's a different thing. But if, you, if God says, do it. It, it. it appears that Moses just had this little breakdown in his character. Just all of a sudden there was a breakdown in his character. And it is a character flaw indeed when a person questions the wisdom of God. It's a character flaw. Just, Lord, I can't. Are you sure you know what you're talking about? Have you really analyzed this, Lord? You're going to send me back to Pharaoh? Well, he seemed like a logical choice from all natural circumstances. He grew up there in the palace. I mean, he, he obviously knew. He knew the, the rope, so to speak. Have you ever questioned God's integrity? Have you ever wondered, God, have you thought this thing through? You know what you're talking about? You're asking me to give up this, this, and this in order to do this and this and still think that I will be happy? He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. <clears throat> you know, when I think of this story of, of Moses, I, I think of Isaiah, the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah, uh, the, the year in which King Uzziah died. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. We sing the chorus, I see the Lord, I see the Lord. Such a beautiful chorus. The angels, seraphims, were crying, holy, holy, holy. And then the effect of the vision on Isaiah, verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is kind of a common feeling when, when people go into the presence of God. They get this unworthy feeling. You know what it's like. But it's that feeling that causes us to be cleansed. It's a feeling of humility, submission, and repentance. But I think... This goes a little bit further than that because of what happened. I think he was analyzing himself pretty good and he was analyzing the people of Israel. For the Bible says in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Notice this. Then said I, Here am I, send me. But that came only after one of the angels went down to the altar of God and picked up a coal 
like a red glowing charcoal briquette with tongs, the Bible says. And while this man was praying about his uncleanness, the seraphim put the coal on his tongue to cleanse him and purify him. So here we see a man who had a similar situation that Moses, I can't do this, Lord. I <laughs> Just think about me, Lord. I, I'm just a common little old man here. I can't do this. But God changed this man, and I don't know of a book of prophecy in the whole Bible that's greater than the book of Isaiah. Isaiah had a special insight on the holiness of God, the oneness of God, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. After God had put the coal on his tongue. And I think I'm preaching to someone here today that if you just surrender and say, Lord, regardless of whether I feel I can or cannot, if you'll put the coal on my tongue, whatever it takes, Lord, I want to give myself to you. Can I trust God with my life? Here's the Apostle Paul giving his testimony. I'd like for Sister Sharon Kearns, if she would, to prepare to sing. The 26th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul is telling about what happened to him. He said to King Agrippa, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of the things which I will appear unto thee. This is what God's telling him.